Good morning, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. My name is Michael Bath. This is the podcast where we, well, I usually say we, but it's not going to be we today, and I'll get into that. Uh, we chat about all things Porsche. Um, Steve is not here. Where is Steve? Steve, where are you? Uh, well, Steve is actually um, decided to make money today. He's making the money. He's making the Godivers. He's making the cash. He's making the loot. He's making all those things. So that's where Steve is today. So uh, Steve's not here. It's just me today. Um, we might do a slightly shorter one today. I don't know if you guys want to hear me talking for uh, an hour. So we might do it a little bit shorter. But I was, uh, I was, to be honest with you, I was tossing up. Uh, I was tossing up whether to do this podcast today or not. Um, this is going back to, uh, for those of you who have been with me since the uh, very, very beginning of the Porsche Cool podcast, you will remember that the first episodes, I don't know how many actually, uh, the first episodes were literally just me talking to you guys. And I think they were only about 22, 22 minutes or 25 minutes or something like that. They're only short, short little uh, podcast chats, I will call them. Um, but I wanted to do this episode today. I thought about it. I am denied about it a little bit. But then I thought, look, you know, um, I like chatting with you guys. I need, to be honest with you, my head is in a spin and I'm going to get into that, what's happened uh, to me last night and what's been going on. Um, I guess I'm not going to use the first world problems thing, but, you know, I guess it's it's all relative to what's going on in the world. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. I want to talk about that sort of stuff in a second. But I want to do, I want to start with uh, the usual, the usual things that I start with on the podcast. And I want to start with the usual, the usual thank yous and the usual shout outs. Uh, and the first shout out that I want to start with is uh, Patreon. Um, and as you know, Patreon is the place where you can join Porsche Cooled. You can join Porsche Cooled and you can support the podcast and you can support the podcast by paying through Patreon uh, either 2 to $10 a month. Um, with various benefits. Uh, one of the benefits is getting a shout out on the podcast. Um, but I want to welcome two new members this week. Um, and the first one is uh, Brian. Uh, Brian is, you would have known that name, that name would sound familiar. And that's because Brian is on uh, Porsche Good Owner Stories this week. Brian's from Silicon Valley in the US. Uh, we had a good chat. Uh, we have a we have a, a, a particular same collector uh, mentality. We have the similar love of watches and the love of Porsches. And I know there's a few of you guys out there, and I know a few of you guys have reached out to me and um, and chatted about our uh, watches and, and and Porsches and stuff like that. But Brian uh, Brian has joined Patreon, so thank you, Brian. Uh, I did thank you personally, but thank you once again uh, for joining Porsche Cool. Uh, second member this week is DM. Uh, DM, I'm not sure where DM is located. Um, I asked DM if he has a Porsche. He's got two. Uh, I hope DM, you don't mind me saying this on the podcast, but he has a 997.1 2005 Carrera in black. Uh, as you guys know, I have a 997.1 2006 Carrera in silver. So there's a, that's a great car, uh, 2005 or 2006. Uh, that's his daily. He uses it every day, he told me, and he also has a 991.2 GT3. Um, so thank you, DM. Thank you, uh, Brian. Thank you both for joining Porsche Cooled. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, like I said, every little bit helps, and it just helps us uh, keep talking all things Porsche. Um, before I get into owner stories, uh, yeah, so the, as a lot of you know, uh, my Porsche is in Australia, and uh, we have been living in Bahrain, and we've kind of not been trapped, but we've been... Unable to go back to Australia and visit family, visit friends, and, and check on our, our home there, etc. 
Um, we booked a ticket on Singapore Airlines. And for those of you who don't know, this is not really a COVID, COVID lead-in like we usually, me and Steve, have been doing in the last few episodes. But we basically had a flight. Uh, we have our flight to Australia. We always fly Singapore Airlines. We usually fly economy, to be honest with you. It's very rare that we would fly. Uh, sometimes we fly premium, but not very often. Business is usually when we get upgraded, which we have quite a few times. We don't usually buy business class tickets for ourselves. Uh, if it's a business expense and it's included in the in the project or the job, then we'll get a business class ticket. But usually that's within Europe or wherever we're going for, for a project we're working on. Anyway, um, economy ticket, we booked it in March. I was waiting for it. You know, I put a post up on Instagram yesterday. I was actually waiting for it. I just thought it's going to happen. I don't know when it was going to happen. It could have happened a day before. It could have happened an hour before. But we got the, the awful SMS saying that our flight has been cancelled. Um, interesting wording from Singapore Airlines, though. They said it was due to suspension of flights to Australia. For those of you who don't know, Australia is limits the amount of flights into Sydney Airport. Into all airports, actually. But Sydney Airport's probably the worst, I think. And they limit the number of people on each flight. And I think it's only something like 30 passengers a flight. Um, and this is because they don't have the ability to um, hotel quarantine any more people than that. It's basically based on the infrastructure for the hotel quarantining. Even though you're fully vaccinated and we're fully vaccinated, vaccinated here in Bahrain, um, I don't know whether even Australia will, will recognise that. Um, I think that's the debate at the moment. And then, you know, we... So when we go back to Australia, we would have had to hotel quarantine. We knew that. It was a 3000 uh, charge for the first adult. Uh, my wife would be another 1000 on top of that. So it would have cost us $4,000 just to quarantine in a terrible hotel for two weeks. You're not allowed to quarantine at home. And that's the crux of the problem. Um, the main problem is that you cannot quarantine at home. It's not like the UK where you can quarantine, you do tests, they check on you. Australian government doesn't allow you to do that. Um, therefore, the number of flights coming into Australia is reduced. Because of the outbreak in Sydney, they've halved that normal cap of 60. I think it's down to 30 people per flight, like I said. And I think it's a maximum of only like 300 passengers a day or something ridiculous like that. So the chances of getting bumped when you're on economy, even though you are a gold flyer with Singapore Airlines, was pretty high. Um, and we got bumped. So last night I tried to get another flight. I um, hope you guys don't mind me talking about this as it's a bit, probably a bit boring since we're super talking about, you know, Porsches. But I just thought I'd lead in with this today because it is a bit of a frustration at the moment. Um, anyway, uh, so Singapore Airlines, no flights. I checked numerous days, nearly every day up until December. The only thing that came up was a flight, uh, a flight in suites, which is obviously expensive. Um, the stupidity of the whole thing is, though, and this bit I have to blame Singapore Airlines a little bit, is that it's two legs when you fly to Australia. It's a, uh, London to Singapore, then Singapore to Sydney. But it's booked as one flight. So they cancel the Singapore to Sydney flight and they leave our other flight active. Now, I'm going to say it, how in the hell can you catch that flight when no one can go into Singapore at the moment? You cannot go to Singapore. You cannot visit Singapore. So... Why would they keep that flight open? It's the Singapore's national airline. They know you're not a Singapore citizen by your details in your booking. I don't understand why they would do that. I mean, you can't go anywhere when you get there. So, you know, that's, that's how everything's messed up at the moment. Anyway, that's my dilemma. That's what happened last night. So that sort of threw me a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit depressed. 
made me depressed because I can't get back to Sydney. I can't get back to the Porsche. Um, there's so many things I need to do on the 911 um, from, you know, <clears throat> general services and maintenance, as you guys know, to getting the, you know, the bumper repair that someone backed into me. I've got to get that fixed. Um, little upgrades here and there. So there's a lot of things to do. Um, and I just don't know how to do them. Um, so my latest plan is to try somehow to get the 911 to Waterhouse Hamilton in Sydney from where I live in the inner city, from our home in the inner city, to Waterhouse Hamilton and somehow get it to them, whether or not there's a... Even though there's um, lockdown in Sydney and you can't really travel and you're not allowed to, you know, go outside your, your area, five kilometres or whatever it is outside your area, I'm thinking off the top of my head <clears throat> if I can get Waterhouse to go pick up my car from where it's stored, take it back to their place, their, their service centre, do the servicing on it over the next couple of months or whatever it is, and then pay for the storage there until I get back. So at least the car is sorted. I come back and the car is sorted. I know I've said this before, and it was going to be easy because Steve was going to um, take the car across to order house for me. Um, because he cannot leave his area and he lives further than 5Ks away and it's not essential, it's not classed as an essential service, I guess. Um, I can't do that. Um, the same as my, you know, Natasha's brother, my wife's brother, he could have done it for me. He can't do it. Um, so I'm kind of a bit stuck. I'm trying to work out a solution. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. I don't know how people deal with it when you've got five cars, six cars, and you've got to get things organized and you're not living in your home country. It must be, you know, uh, I know wealthy people that have cars all around the world. I know you have people to look after it, but even having one car at a distance when these things are happening, it's very, um, very complicated. Anyway, let's get into um, let's get into Porsche Cooled Owner Stories this week. As I just mentioned, Brian is on our Porsche Cooled Owner Stories, number 49, number 49 of the Owner Stories series. So we're, like I said, we're getting up there. Uh, Brian is from Silicon Valley. Brian's got a 911, uh, 2001 model, 911 C2 cab, uh, 996.1, of course, lapis blue. Um, he said he wasn't really sure about the color. Brian, I know you're listening, but I, as I said to you in the podcast, I really, um, I quite like lapis blue. It's an unusual color. It's quite a rare color. I don't know if it was that rare on 996s, was it? Maybe it was, but it, it is a rare color, but I quite like it. Um, that wasn't his first Porsche. His first Porsche was a Macan, uh, Macan S. And you should listen to the story because it's the dilemma that we all go through, where we think we're going to be happy with something. We really want a 911. And I want to get into this when I start talking about the Boxster a little bit briefly in the latter part of this episode. But, you know, we all, we all want a 911. And sometimes I think we think we can compromise. And sometimes maybe the compromise is not close enough to what we want. And I think that's what happened with Brian with his Macan S. Um, nothing wrong with the car. Perfect example. Well looked after. Porsche certified, I think it was. Everything like that. Um, but... He eventually uh, switched it out, and quite quickly, I'll let you listen to the story, and got a 911, which is what he really, really wanted. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the chat with Brian. Brian and I had a good chat about watches. There's a bit of watch chat at the end of that episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you do enjoy the bit of watch chat, let me know. We can we can always add a bit more of that into future episodes. Uh, but Brian's an avid watch collector. He's, he collects vintage Rolex. He's had a lot more Rolexes than me, a lot more watches than me. Uh, he's also a Panerai fan. Um, we were both wearing our Panerai when I was recording the episode, which was cool. And he's also got a Tudor, which I wanted, uh, which I was going to get myself, the 925 Sterling Tudor. 
Um, for those of you who don't know much, much about watches, check that one out. It's a really nice watch. Um, for those of you who follow me on my Instagram, michael.bath, you'll realize I did get a Tudor recently and I got the Harrods uh, special edition or limited edition Tudor, which has got the green bezel. Um, and I got that really because I was on the waiting list for one year and it literally took a week, uh, one year to come through. Um, the Tudor I was offered in Canary Wharf in London and I turned it down because it was just a little bit small for me, which I say in the podcast when I'm chatting to, um, chatting to Brian. But Brian's story is a good one. Uh, he's got a good sort of analogy, sort of correlation between, you know, Porsches and watches, between 996s and, and 911s. Um, you know, the service box, the service records of a watch kind of equals the box, of, sorry, the service records of a, of a watch, the service records of a car of a 911 kind of equals the box and papers thing when you're collecting watches. For those of you that collect watches will know what we're talking about. Um, good story. Enjoyed it. Um, so check that out if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, that's Porsche Cooled Owner Stories number 49. Um, came out a couple of days ago, but it's a good one. It's a good one. So make sure you check that out. Um, what else? What else? I'm just going to get through this really quickly. I just want to read out a couple of reviews. Um, I really like how people take the effort to review us on Apple. And I know I listen to other podcasts and no one else seems to do this. I hope it's not too boring, but I just think it's just appreciation to you guys because, you know, it, you, you give up your time to listen to the podcast for an hour. It's, it's a lot of dedication to listen to us for an hour. I know that. And you guys listen to us every week. And, you know, giving us a review, like I said, lets other people find us and other people are finding us. Um, as I've said before, the, the downloads of the podcast are growing quite quickly. Um, the, the, you know, the fan base or listener base is actually growing. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I really do think that's down from you guys talking about it with your friends, mentioning us on social media and also giving us these reviews. So once again, thank you for that. But I'm going to lose my breath talking all once. Where are you, Steve? I need you to help me get through this. It's too hard without you. It's too hard without you. Um, first review, uh, I might not read the whole review. Five stars, best Porsche podcast out there. Uh, I will read this one. This is um, from Bobby. So Bobby said, I stumbled upon this podcast when I was researching my first Porsche. Now it has become my regular Tuesday and Friday morning coffee. Must listen to. In short, it's a podcast with real people and their real love for Porsches, especially the 997. Thank you, Michael and Steve. So that's a retired canine cop. And that's Bobby. And Bobby is coming up. I know who Bobby is. And Bobby's coming up next week in Porsche Good Owner Stories. Um, it's a good one. It's another good one. I always say this, but I keep saying this, but, you know, that each owner story is slightly different. But then we have this common thread, and that's what I love about it. Um, but that's Bobby. So he'll be coming up next week. So thanks for the review, Bobby. Much appreciated. And Brian. Brian has also left us a review. Brian's this week's uh, Porsche Good Owner Stories. Best Porsche podcast. This is my best Porsche-specific podcast I've found to date. The owner stories are my favorite part, as all of us owners love the community element. Sorry, all of us owners love the community element of these wonderful machines. Keep up the good work, and thanks for feeding the machine. Uh, at Manual996, which is um, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Um, and like I said, reviews basically just help it help you know our podcasts get through all the noise, get through all the other podcasts out there, and get us uh, seen. And hopefully get us up there to being one of the number one uh, Porsche podcasts in the world. What else? Okay, Bernard. Everyone knows Bernard. Bernard has been on a previous owner's stories. Bernard, uh, 
you always say I give you a lot of coverage on this podcast. It's not intentional. Honestly, it's not. Uh, but Bernard, Bernard, as you would know him as Ibita, Ibita 911, um, sent me this uh, a couple of days ago, and I missed it for some reason. I knew there was one for sale. I think someone told me there was one for sale, but I hadn't seen the ad, and I hadn't seen that it sold. All of us know if you own a 997, the pinnacle of the 997 is the GT3 RS, the GT3 RS 4.0. Um, one came up for sale here in Australia. And I know prices of these are, are, are increasing. Um, anyone that listens to Spike's Car Radio will know that Zuckerman had two, which he sold both of them. I think that was a mistake. You know, Seinfeld has them. A lot of collectors have them. The guy that owned, uh, the guy that sold WhatsApp to Facebook, he had a couple. I think he got rid of one recently at a Goodings auction. Um, <clears throat> but one came up at Richmond's in Adelaide. Now, these don't come up very often in Australia. Um, I don't think there's many in Australia. In fact, I think the ads said that there is six of these cars delivered to Australia. I don't know what the original uh, purchase price was, but it's a 2011 997 911 GT3 RS 4.0, Series 2 manual, only 9,000-odd kilometres, so 6,000-odd miles, Carrara white, Black and red interior trim, uh, six Australian delivered cars. So we all know the four-point leader is the you know the boxer six-cylinder engine. Uh, I think it's like a sub four seconds, not to one hundred. Um, it's just such a collectible car. You know what I mean? Um, I still think you know in a, in a collection. You know, if you want, for me, this car, the nine eleven R. You know, um, maybe even the the Spider, the nine one eight Spider, are so like iconic sort of three car. You know, rich, rich Porsche collector collection, I think. That's how I see it. Um, but anyway, the main point about this, and Bernard sent it to me, Ibita, um, is that it sold for 1 million, almost 1.1 million Australian dollars. Now, I don't know what the prices are in Europe, UK, US at the moment. Um, I'm guessing this is pretty close to the mark. It could be more expensive. I think that I did the comparison, the conversion. 1.1 million Aussie is about 805 US, 805,000 US dollars, 585,000 pounds, and 681,000 euro. Um, so that's what it sold for. It's a rare car to see in Australia. Apparently, it didn't last very long. I think Bernard said it only lasted for an hour. I think on other articles that I've read, people said it was there for a couple of days. No matter what, it's sold pretty quickly. Um, it's it's a serious collector's car. I'm sure the person that bought it has got other Porsches, has got other collector cars. I'm sure it's slipped into their collection and it's something they probably will not let go of. Um, it'd be interesting to see, though, in the next five years or so what this car um, sells for. Okay, so just before I get off the uh, values thing, I just wanted to bring up, you know, last week we were talking about GT3 values and um, James at Porsche Platz in, in Sydney, in South Australia, I should say. No, not South Australia, in Melbourne. Sorry, James. James uh, from Porsche Platz in Melbourne. James had put a thread on uh, Porsche Forums Australia with the prices of GT3s, like where he saw the estimate markets. He was looking for one. Uh, he has found one since then. Um and I thought it was pretty much spot on. I just want to do a shout out and, and just tell uh, you guys what Simon told me. Now, Simon, you might remember his name. That's uh, Simon is Porsche Nut 9, who was on a previous owner's stories. And Simon said to me that he thought that James was pretty close to being right. Um, Simon, I hope you're okay with me reading this out. But I thought it was quite interesting. Um, he thought that James was a little bit off the mark on the 996.2 uh, uh, GT3. 
he still thinks, Simon thinks that the Mark IIs are still fetching more than the Mark Ones. Um, but the reason why he thinks prices still look low on the 996 Mark IIs is that they just, they really don't come up. He said hardly have come up in Australia in the last three to six months, which is true. They never really come up on the um, on car sales, as we keep mentioning, the Australian car site, um, and they don't come up in on other forums as well. Um, he says they sell pretty quickly, the 996.2s. Um, he said that he thinks the 996 Mark II GT3 is on par with the 997.1 GT3 price. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I always thought, and I said this when we were talking to Steve last week, I always thought the 996.2 GT3 was worth more than the 0.1. Um, and I thought that because the improvements on the Mark II to the Mark I people really appreciated and people wanted. Um, the Mark I, as, as I see it, or as I've interpreted from <coughs> other people's articles and other people's posts, etc., was the Mark I 996 GT3 was always a, a rawer sort of car. It was more, you know, it was more... It was, it was simpler and, and rawer. Um, that's what I've read. I don't know if it is or not. I haven't driven either of those cars. Um, I think what happens with Porsche is pretty much what happens all the time is when there's an update, people think the 0.2 is always better and people will always go with the 0.2 um, as in the 991.2 GT3. Of course, and the 991 is a different scenario because the 991.1 GT3 had the engine issues, um, which had the E, F and G engine. If you know all about that, you should... People say avoid the E and F and try and get a G. Other people have F and had no trouble. People have had Fs and they're blown up. E's are blown up and most of the E's have been replaced by Porsche under warranty. That's a different sort of scenario though with a point two. But I think in general, people like the idea of a point two and I think point twos tend to fetch better prices. 997.2 um, Carrera um, fetches better prices, but then that's because the point one has the IMS issue. Um, Point ones, first generations of 911s usually have a few kinks in them which are worked out in the point two generation. Uh, you know, as Nick Murray on YouTube says, always avoid the first the first model year of, of a new 911. There's always issues. I don't know if that's that's always true, but it seems like, you know, the, the first generation of 911s, there are some sort of things they need to sort of work out, mechanical issues or cosmetic things that, that are fixed later on like the air conditioning buttons and things like that in the 997 and the 997.2 they changed because they changed the color and they worked out the issues with the plastic so i don't know so i always thought that the 0.2 gt3 was worth more than the 0.1 for that reason alone but i think what happens with porsche and this is what i was getting to and i'm starting to lose my train of thought i think eventually Collectors start looking at the first gen of cars. They start looking at the entry of the cars. And I know Magnus Walker always says this. He always likes to buy the first year of a car. But I don't know whether it's the first year of a car. But I think there is something to collectors that they start looking at uh, first generation of, um, of a car. Of, you know, first generation of the 997 or first generation of the 996. And especially when you get into these GT cars. And I think that's what's happening now. Um, I think the 996.1 has gone up for that reason. Um, but I think Simon is also correct. In Australia, there's not that many. I don't think that there doesn't seem to be as many 0.2s. Maybe there is, but they don't come off, come up very often for sale and people hang on to them. So the true value, you know, there's no market value. 
Um, you know, it's like when, you, when you're buying a house or an apartment and you're trying to get it valued by the bank, they want to know other values of similar apartments in the building you bought in or the street. If there hasn't been any sales, well, then it's, it's hard to pinpoint that value, isn't it? It's hard to pinpoint the, the actual true market value if there's, if there's no records, if there's no data. Uh, where was I? Um, anyway, that was just an update on that from, from uh, last week about the 996 and 997 uh, values of the GT3. Um, I just want to do a, another a site, actually, a site that was sent to me. And this was sent to me from David in Australia. David, I know you're listening. Thanks for that link and thanks for sending it through. Uh, David's got a GT3 Touring in Australia, very beautiful car. Um, he sent me a link from this site. And I don't know whether you... Uh, the listeners in Australia have been to this site before. I've never heard of it. It's called chrometemple.com. Chrometemple.com. Um, there is a beautiful 911T for sale on that site at the moment. And that was the car that uh, David sent through to me. The 911T is in, you know, I'm not a big fan of red. Uh, this one's in Sydney, actually. It's for sale in Sydney. Uh, it's a 911T. It's a 69 911T. Uh, it's in a burgundy type color. I don't know what the, the name of the color is. It's got 68,000 miles. It's left-hand drive, uh, manual, six-cylinder, 2.2, of course. Burgundy. It's called, the color is burgundy. Um, I thought it had a more special name than that, but apparently it is burgundy. It comes with a toolkit. It's quite a good site, though, the way it's laid out. Even if you're, if you're not in Australia, go and check out that site because it's quite a beautiful car. It's chrometemple.com. Um, but it's 911T manual restored left-hand drive. It's at 110,000 Aussie dollars at the moment. So that's pretty cheap for you guys uh, in US and Europe. Uh, it's got 21 hours left. I don't know if there's a reserve on this car. There's been 10 bids. Um, but like I said, this is an auction site I haven't seen before. Uh, they also seem to have like storage and automotive butler and things like that on this site. I'm not quite sure. I haven't really looked at the site properly, um, but the way they list their ads is quite good. It's got the highlights. It's got the equipment. You know, it's got the 15-inch Fook wheels. You know, it's manual. It's black seat vinyl trim. Uh, what has it got? Two keys. It comes with a pre-purchase inspection and PPSR certificate, so it shows you whether it's not been stolen or written off, etc. Um and they'll store it for you if you don't have storage temporarily, or I guess not just temporarily, they'll store it for you. Uh, 5% premium if you buy it at the auction. So that's not too bad. Um, but anyway, if you're looking for a 911T, um, I know I'd love, I'd love to have one if I had the money. Go and check that out because it is, uh, it is still for sale for the next 21 hours. In fact, when this podcast goes live, maybe it's already sold. In fact, it probably would be. So that's pointless. Sorry about that. It's probably already gone. But anyway, go and check out the site and see what it's like. Maybe it hasn't sold. Maybe there was a reserve and it's um, still going to be up on there. Um, so like I said, uh, Steve's off making money. He's in Sydney making money. Um, and it's just me today. So if you've just joined the podcast and you're wondering what this person is talking to themselves, usually this podcast is me and Steve, my mate in Sydney that has a GT3. You guys have been here for a long time, know what I am talking about. Um, the Boxster. I don't really want to spend too much time on this. Like I said, we're going to have a slightly shorter episode today. Um, but the Boxster, I guess I've been thinking about the Boxster. And I've been thinking about the Boxster because all of a sudden, everything you seem to be reading, watching, is about the Boxster, the Boxster, the Boxster. And it's usually about the 986. Um, we all know the problems of the 986 Boxster are similar to the problems of the 996 Boxster. 
Um, if you hate the headlights on the 996-911, then you're probably not going to like them on the Boxster. Most people have got over that. Um, the early models had the, you know, the amber indicator, the new ones, were, the later models were all clear. Um, the early Boxsters were 2.5 for the standard, and then they went up to 2.7. Um, most people say get a Boxster S. Uh, I know a lot of people that I've seen in Porsche clubs and seen images on other Porsche clubs around the world. A lot of people use them on track days, the Boxster. I mean, it's a good track car, mid-engined. Um, I noticed Magnus Walker just did a video, which I watched part of it. I haven't watched the whole thing on that Next Big Thing uh, series that he does on Haggerty, uh, where he's talking about the 986 Boxster. I think he did mention that he was interested in one. I think he did mention he was interested in one. He's not a real big uh, Cabriolet uh, convertible type guy. Um, so guessing that's probably something that's made him hesitate. But, you know, the Boxster is an interesting one, and I have been thinking about it. And those of you who have followed the podcast for a long time know that I want a 912. Of course, if I could stretch my my purse, if I had the extra cash at the moment, you know, or the extra cash in, in 12 months or two years, I would love to get a 911T, but the T prices are quite expensive. That's why I thought that T in Sydney was quite a good one. If it stays around that 130000 Australian dollar price, it's quite a good one. I think it'll go for much more than that. But the thing about the Boxster is, and it's very weird, and I think I'm, I'm sort of thinking back to Brian uh, from this week's owner stories who bought the Macan. And, uh, you know, almost straight away he realized what he really wanted was a 911. And that's probably the worst thing to happen to you when you buy your first Porsche or your first car. No matter what model it is that you think, damn, I should have bought something else. Um, I've spoken to you guys before on this podcast and was chatting to Steve about it a couple of weeks ago that when I bought the Peugeot 206 that I bought, I kind of had that feeling as well, like, mm, I shouldn't have bought this car. You know, I, I rushed in too quickly, I bought this car and then I got rid of it. And, you know, that car was the same thing for me. I could, you know, could relate to what Brian was saying because the same thing happened to me. Um, and that Peugeot I kept for only a few months and I bought it brand new. Um, but, you know, the Boxster is an interesting Porsche. Um, it's an interesting Porsche, as we know, because it is not always considered a true Porsche, which I think it's losing that description um, as the 996 lost the ugly description. I don't think people look at the Boxster in the same way. I think the Boxster is... Basically, you know, you have to see it. And I think this is how the general perception is changing. And of course, we change our perception if other people agree with us. Um, you know, we do that as humans. It's kind of human nature. But, you know, the Boxster is a fun car. It's a very inexpensive car at the moment. It can be reasonably inexpensive to upkeep. It does have issues, IMS, RMS, etc., similar to 996 and 997. Um, but with anything, if you get a reasonably well-sorted one and you do the precautions, I don't see how that's going to be something that hangs over your head. Um, I'm looking at them because, as I said in previous episodes, you know, I think you know, my wife wants to learn to drive. She'd prefer to learn to drive on a manual. Um, in Australia, if you learn on a manual, you can drive manual and automatic. To my knowledge, if you only learn on automatic, you're not allowed to drive manual. Your license is classed as automatic. Um, it never used to be like that. When I got my license, it wasn't like that. You could learn on an automatic and you could drive a manual, which is what a lot of people did because they didn't want to learn on a manual because it was too hard. So they literally learned on an automatic and then drove a manual. Um, I learned on a manual because, you know, the cars we had were all manuals at the time. 
But that's why I'm looking at boxes, you know. I'm looking at boxes. I'm looking at 986. Steve thinks keep clear of the 986. Um, he thinks there's too many issues with them. He's heard Matt Farah talk about all the issues and they're a nightmare. Apparently, um, Magnus Walker said that he quite liked it. He thought they weren't hard to maintain, um, which is completely the opposite to Matt Farah on the Smoking Tire podcast, who said they were a nightmare. Um, I think Ajmal made a video while Ajmal was saying, at, uh, Ajmal's at Flat Cap Driver. If you haven't been to his YouTube channel, go over there and uh, give him a follow and say hello. Um, but Ajmal at Flat Cap Driver, who owns a 912 and a 996, I think he was talking about as well that he was, he was on the hunt for one. I don't know whether that's still happening, Ajmal. I haven't spoken to you about it, um, if you are or not. But the thing about the Boxster is, you know, you can cross-shop it and you have to... I think... What am I trying to say? You shouldn't shun the Boxster. You shouldn't shun the Boxster thinking because I just I have to have a 911. I think that's what I'm getting to. Do you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> if you want to get into a Porsche today and you only have X amount of money, which let's be honest, um, you know, I'm looking at Australian values and I'm looking at the top end of the 986s and I think the 986s have gone up about $7,000 in the last six months, 7,000 Australian dollars. I found a really good one on car sales in Australia, which is a gray, uh, the seal gray, Boxster S. I'm only looking at Boxster S. If I, was going, if I was going to buy one, I would buy the Boxster S and I would buy 2004 onwards because 2004 onwards has the glass rear window. I wouldn't be fussed with the mileage that much. I think if it's somewhere around, if it's under 100,000 K or close to 100,000 K, I think that's okay. Um, that's what I would be looking for. But I think you have to be really careful when you do this because if you're, if you're someone who's listening that doesn't have a 911, doesn't have a Porsche, and you're thinking, okay, I really want a 911, but maybe I should just get a Boxster. It'll be just as good. You have to be pretty sure you want the Boxster. I think if you want it and you get into it, I don't think it's going to be a disappointment. But if you're always, you know, as Porsche enthusiasts, we're always hankering for something else. We're always looking for something else. Um, so I think it's a hard decision for someone getting into the, the, the Porsche range for the first time. It's hard in that it's tempting because they're cheap and, you know, they vary in price from really bad examples to good examples. And the, and the range is quite a lot, you know, the range is quite large. And I think even in Australia, it's like high twenties to high fifties for a 986, um, mid fifties to an up for a 986 box to S. So the prices differ quite a lot. They vary quite a lot. Um, I think the Boxster is a great second Porsche for people that already have a 911. And I know there's been a few people on owner stories um, who have done that. I also, you know, there's people on owner stories like Jeff um, who had, who just wanted a Boxster and he bought the Boxster and he loves it. Um, and that's, that's when you have to do it. When you really know that I've always wanted a Boxster, I'm going to buy a Boxster. It's going to be a great car. If I can get a 911 in a couple of years, perfect. But I really want a Boxster. I think you'll be very happy with it. And I think if you already own a 911, like someone like me, um, you know, I'd love to get one for my wife because I'd love to drive it as well. Um, I think it'd be fun to have an open air experience every now and again in a Porsche. It'd be a different experience to the 997. And I think it would be great. Now, for me, it's a little bit different because as I said, my wife likes the 986. She likes the Boxster. Um, if I was looking for a car to go with the 911, it may not be a Boxster. 
or should I say, you know, it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Porsche. Um, I was listening to um, Spike's car radio very early this morning. Um, the new episode with Jerry Seinfeld and Jerry Seinfeld's talking about how he's, he's a Porsche guy and here he is, he's bought a Morgan um, and he's going to buy another Morgan. And I thought that was pretty cool, actually. I liked how he said that because it's, I don't know, maybe it's when you, maybe someone like him, it's different because he's had so many Porsches, he just wants a different experience. But I think, you know, if you were, if you were looking for a, a fun track car, say, to go alongside your um, 911, 997-911, 996-911, or 991-911, or even air-cooled 911, and you just want a fun car. I think, you know, I, I talk about in watches, I talk about Panerai, the Italian watch brand, coming back. Now, Panerai was huge in early 2000s. It probably peaked in about 2004, 2005. You couldn't get their watches. Limited editions would sell out straight away. They'd be, you know, crazy prices. Now you can get bargains in Panerai. And I think <clears throat> it's a time to buy Panerai at the moment. If you're looking for a watch, I would buy a Panerai because it's, it's, I think it's great value and you, I don't think you lose money. And it's a great watch to, watch to wear. They're big watches, but they're a great watch. I kind of see, and we've talked about this with Lotus before, and I kind of see Lotus a little bit like this. This um, feeling that's coming through about Lotus, the thing with uh, Jensen Button and the Radford Lotus that's been talked about and they're, they're pushing all over the place this new Radford Lotus. I think it's going to bring Lotus back into the forefront a little bit. I know Jason Camisa has a Lotus, Lotus Elise, um, and this is what I'm getting onto. I think the Lotus Elise is actually a pretty important car when people are cross-shopping Boxsters. Now, this may not be the person who's who wants a Porsche. If you haven't had a Porsche and you don't own a Porsche, then you probably wouldn't look at the Lotus Elise because you want to get a Boxster or you want to get a 911. But I'm telling about I'm, I'm trying to talk about people like us that already have uh, a Porsche. You know what I mean? Like if I had the 997 and I had a 912 and I just needed something that wasn't expensive, that was a fun car that maybe you could do track work in. Yeah, you might look at a Boxster, but I think you would also look at the um, the Lotus Elise. Um, I've been looking at them; they're not that expensive. Um, they're very raw. I see them in London all the time, of course. Um, I think there's something that you have to keep your eye on. I think being a car enthusiast and being into cars like we all are, <clears throat> there's something appealing about that little Lotus. Um, it's because it's so stripped out. Yeah, it's only a small engine, but there's no weight. Um, and apparently they're quite fun. I don't know about reliability. I don't know that much about them, but I was just thinking about it today when I was, um, yesterday actually, when I was exercising that, it's not a bad alternative, you know. It is not a bad alternative. I don't know if the reliability is the same as Porsche. It's probably not. Um, but, you know, as a, as a fun, open-top type car that you could enjoy on the road and possibly do track days with, I think it's not a bad one. Anyway, you know, I think, I think the Porsche Boxster is, you know, like, like I said, for me, um, I want my wife to have that. I want her to enjoy that. Um, I wouldn't buy a new one, but the 986, I think, is a great one to have, and it would be a great car for us, you know, both to enjoy. Um, of course, that's not going to happen straight away. Um, those of you who know me know that um, uh, most of my funds were used up recently on a property, so um, I don't really have the funds to buy a car at the moment. I'm being trying to be really, really sensible. I know there's some people in the background laughing, saying, but didn't you just buy a new watch, Michael? I said, yes, I did buy a new watch, but... Um, 
I don't know what it is about watches. It's a sm- I find it like a small purchase. It's like it just satisfies the need. <laughs> it satisfies that need for like a little while, a few months. Um, so that was uh, that was the good side of that. Um, unfortunately, I'm in Bahrain, and the problem being in Bahrain is I have a good relationship with the Rolex uh, AD here. So I've already been in to see them, and, and that could be uh, <laughs> that could be trouble in the um, weeks to come. Um, anyway, like I said, I'm still in Bahrain. Uh, we go to Dubai actually in the middle of the month. Um, I'll try and keep the podcast up during that time. It might be a little bit difficult, but I'll, I'll let you guys know what's happening. Um, more owner stories to come. Um, if you want to be on owner stories, you just reach out to me and send me a DM on Instagram, michael.bath or at Porsche Cooled. Give us a follow when you're there. Um, if you want to come on here and talk about your Porsche. Um, I've got some good ones coming up. Uh, I have someone from Australia who I'm not going to mention who reached out to me a while back. I didn't get back to them. They're just about to get delivery of a new car. They haven't told me what it is. Um, so we're going to hold off that episode until they get their new car, which is apparently pretty special. So that's going to be a good one. Um, and it's also related to a previous owner's story. So I think that will be uh, quite enjoyable for you guys when it, when it comes out. I know I'm being very secretive here, but I thought I'll just, just let you guys know there is, uh, there are some good owner stories coming. Um, and on the owner's stories note, I just want to say, and I know that um, Ajma, when I was in London, reached, said to me that I should celebrate the 50th episode of Owner Stories and do a special one. Um, but I tell you what, I haven't done that. Next week is the 50th episode. I wanted to keep owner's stories like it's always been. It's been about you guys. It's been about us guys as just normal Porsche owners, Porsche enthusiasts. Some of us might have a little bit more money where we can have one or two or three. Some of us have got one. Some of us are trying to get one. You know, some of us have a base 997, some of us have a GT3, some of us have a Boxster, some of us have a 912, some of us have a 964. It doesn't matter. The enthusiasm is still there. It's just about you guys, about your story, um, <clears throat> and about just, you know, Porsche passion. And that's what it's always been about on a story. So I haven't done, I haven't done like a special edition, a special, uh, Ajma was saying I should do a special episode you know, talking about my story. You guys have heard my story. Um, I, I tell you pretty much every episode what's going on. Um, I haven't really owned a lot of cars over the years. Um, and that was primarily because I lived in the city and I used to, uh, used to pretty much walk everywhere. So I didn't have the ability to have a lot of parking. Uh, so all my cars were a little bit later on, uh, later in life, by choice, by choice though. Um, but anyway, next week's owner stories is number fifty, and I think it's a really good one. Um, and that's Bobby, who's going to be on next week. Um, and I thought it was, it worked out to be. And I said to Bobby during the episode um, that the way he's got to his Porsche, I think, is fitting that it's the fiftieth episode because it's about keeping the dream alive. Um, it's keeping the dream alive uh, and and getting to that goal. And even if you go through other cars that you buy and sell to get there, you eventually get there. Or you have that special Porsche fund, uh, as we've heard on previous owner stories. You have that Porsche fund, and you you know you make your dream reality. And I think that's what that's what's great about owner stories. Um, it's it's just hearing people um, get to their achieve their goal, get their dream and, and get in their dream Porsche. And I think that's what it's all about. So that's what I was going to say. 50th episode next week. And like I said, we couldn't have got there guys without uh, you guys listening to us and all the support over the last, uh, you know, must be over 12 months now. I've been doing the owner stories um, series, almost 12 months. Um, my voice is going, I think I might leave it there. 
Um, let me know through Instagram what you think about the Boxster. Do you think the Lotus Elise is a good, uh, a, a good cross-shopping car to the Boxster? Do you think that people will look at both of them when they're, when they're looking for that sort of car? Um, I don't know. I can just see the comparisons. And like I said, I think Lotus is a bit undervalued at the moment. And I think if you get into an Elise, I think... Exige are a bit expensive, though, in Australia. But I think if you get into an Elise, I think you've got a, probably a good little investment there. I think they're a bit undervalued. I think if this Radford Lotus thing happens with, you know, gets really strong with Jensen Button and the other guy, I can't remember his name, if that gets really strong and they do more stuff and Lotus gets in the forefront and then you've got that new Lotus, whatever it's called, I can't remember what it's called, um, the last of the internal combustion engine Lotuses, because Lotus are going full electric too, remember that. So that could be a reason why um, you get into it. And I guess I'm talking about the Lotus because I'm talking about collecting things here. I'm thinking about this collecting mindset um, after talking to Brian with watches and cars and and how, you know, we love Porsches, but sometimes, you know, you can look outside a Porsche. You can still look outside on the boundaries and see cars that complement the Porsche that you own. Um, it may not necessarily satisfy the need if you haven't got a Porsche yet, but if you have a Porsche, it's about those those cars on the boundary, you know. For me, as you know, I really like the Dino GT4, like David in New Zealand's got. I would love David's car. It's a beautiful car, that yellow Dino. Um, but it's those cars on the boundary that, that you know, you have your Porsche blinkers on, but you can still see. You can still see. And I think that's a good thing. And you have to be open-minded and you have to be... You have to be open to other options, I think. I think that's the most important thing. Um, but, you know, our passion, as you know, is, is Porsche and that's where it, where it is in general. All right, <clears throat> my voice is going. Thanks, guys. Um, I hope you've, you're still here at the end. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Like I said, uh, sorry for just being me this week. Um, Steve unexpectedly couldn't um, couldn't make it last minute. Um, so like I said, instead of not giving you guys an episode, I thought I would uh, just chat one-on-one. All right, I think that's about it for today. Uh, thanks for listening to the Porsche Cool Podcast. Bye for now.